Uh, okay. Um, well, Wales did come back at the end. Three very quick tries. Uh, they did take time to wake up. I do appreciate that. But good job that England had the clock on their side. It just saved them or saved their bacon. Yes, we're there. Okay, let's talk about some important things now, yeah? <laughs> things that really matter. Um, I'm going back to that uh, series that I've started with you, that of... Uh, discovering what these foundational teachings are that are so vital to us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, uh, we can uh, remind ourselves of what those foundational teachings are. And we've done two of them, and we're going to move on to the third one today. It says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings... Because it says, therefore, I've got to go back a few verses to explain why the word therefore is there, because it joins to what goes before. And it's a warning from verse 11 in chapter 5, a warning against falling away. Uh, not that I believe that one loses one's salvation, but one can draw back from pressing on and moving forward. You can stop the process because God works with us in this process, so it's as much our contribution as it is God working with us. And he's warning them, he says, there are some of you who are slow to learn. The things of God are not exciting to you. It doesn't matter whether you study or don't study the word, it doesn't matter whether you listen or don't listen to a sermon, you're slow to learn. You, you don't put value on the fact that you must understand and grow in the things of God goes on to say you ought to be teachers. Not that everyone would stand up here and uh, teach in this same way, but you should be enthusiastic about the Word of God that you want to share what you have found and discovered with other Christians. Your brothers and your sisters, you're, you have this appetite to discover and to share what you found. goes on to say that you need milk. Milk is food that has already been digested by a cow. And that's all you can take. But God says, I want you to do your own digesting. I want you to bite off great chunks yourself and be able to chew through the things of God. And then finally, it says about training, training ourselves to distinguish between good and evil. We should grow in the things of God that we can determine what is good and what is bad, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't de be dependent upon asking others all the time, should I do this or shouldn't I do that? That is growing up. That is maturity as a Christian. And he says that's how we should be. So therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings. Let us lay a foundation in our Christian lives and grow then as mature Christians in Christ. And go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. Then he lists the foundations for us. Repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. We will understand these six basic teachings. They will become the foundation of our life and on this strong foundation, we can then build a strong Christian life. A building without a strong foundation cannot go very high. A building with a weak foundation, if you do too much on it, it will crumble. Uh, 
Jesus said himself, if you're going to build a house, you best to build it on rock and not on sand because the storms of life will come and if it's built on sand, it will collapse. If it's built on rock, it will stay firm. These six teachings neatly divide into three groups, three groups of two. One group could be like, we could say, this is the start of your Christian life. It talks about repentance and faith in God. Repentance, we know, is nothing to do with saying sorry. You can say sorry and not repent. Repentance is about you, before you were saved, walking away from God, satisfying yourself. Then the gospel was revealed to you, and you turned around and you started walking towards God, very similar to the prodigal. This is what we looked at. Faith, obviously, is important in salvation because without faith, it is impossible to be saved. We believe in a God that we do not see. And yet in our spirit, God has revealed himself to us. He has spoken to us and we have responded in faith. So that's the start. Then we have two subjects that deal with the end of our Christian life. Although they have bearing on them, as, though, as, as do the, the ones that start. They continue to have a bearing. Resurrection and judgment. That is what is coming at the end. You will be resurrected from the dead. You will be resurrected with a physical body. You will recognize me and I will recognize you. We might all be of similar age. I don't know how it's going to work, but we will all be resurrected. We won't be spirits that float around. That is not a resurrection. Jesus was resurrected. The body that went down is the body that came up. My body will go into the earth unless Jesus comes and my body will be resurrected. You say, how's God going to do that? Well, you could ask God a thousand how questions. Don't worry about that. God has it all worked out. So there is a resurrection, and after the resurrection, there is the judgment. And our judgment is before the great white throne, or the judgment seat of Christ, rather, and he will judge us according to whether we have fulfilled the anointing for which God has called us. Your sin has been dealt with by Jesus. Your sin will not be judged, but knowing that God has called you and gifted you and anointed you, he's going to ask you what you did with the anointing that he placed upon you. You say, I don't even know what my anointing is. Well, I strongly recommend that you find out and you get on with it because that's the judgment we meet when we meet Christ. These other two then, we're going to look at just one of them today, is about the whole of your Christian life. Baptisms and the laying on of hands. Baptisms, it's plural, it's not baptism. It is not instructions about your baptism, it is instructions about baptisms. Well, how many baptisms are there? Well, I found five in the New Testament. Not just one, a water baptism, or even two, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but there are five in all. So we have to examine these and see what he's talking about. The five are... John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. The believers or the Christians' baptism, which most in this room have done. They have gone through the waters of baptism. That is signifying with a physical drama, a physical act, a, something that has taken place within the human heart. You were baptized, as it were, in your soul, and to prove to everyone you did it physically with your body. We'll come back to that one. 
The third baptism is the baptism in Holy Spirit, the person in the Holy Spirit. The fourth is a baptism of fire. That isn't as pleasant as the first two. And the last one is a baptism of suffering, which could be the worst of all. So I try to uh, pick on things that are going to cheer you up and make you feel happy, but I don't be, can't be able to do that these days so much. Uh, but this, this, this one, this uh, instructions about baptisms and the laying on of hands should be preached together. Because one is a little negative, it's about what God does to remove stuff from us, and the laying on of hands is what God anoints us with, which is the positive side. So you've got to come back for the other one. I'm not sure when I'm going to preach the other one, but we'll, we'll set this one in place this morning, and we'll be excited about the new one when it's coming. What is baptism? What does it mean to baptise? To baptise means to immerse something or somebody below the level of a liquid, a fluid, or water. So if you get baptised in the church, we fill a tank with water, we take you and we plunge you beneath the water. You can't have your head sticking out, you can't have a hand sticking out, you go down completely under the water. You are buried under the water, and then you come up again. It is called a baptism. To, to, to push under. What happens is when you go through a baptism, a significant change takes place in your life. In all of these baptisms, a significant change takes place in your life. Whether it's a baptism of fire or suffering or the Holy Spirit or water baptism, transformation takes place. A very simple illustration. If you took a a pillar case or a pillar slip, whatever you call it, and it was white, and you filled a bath with blue dye in it, and you took the slip and you placed it partially under the water and you brought it out, it wouldn't all be dyed blue. It would be white and blue. But we want a blue pillar slip. So we take the thing and we push it deep under the water and I'm sure we should leave people under the water <laughs> for at least three seconds. You won't die, don't worry. But just to make sure you're really dead and buried, we whip you out far too quick, I believe. You push the pillar slip under and you move it around so the dye gets all through it. And then you lift the pillar slip out and it's changed. You try to get it white again, that's a job and a half. It is changed for all time. It went in white and it came out completely different blue. In fact, you wouldn't recognize it as the same slip that went in. That is what baptism is. Baptism is about a transformation that takes place. What emerges after baptism is radically and permanently changed from what it was before baptism. Now, the first one of the five we can ignore. This was John the Baptist's baptism. It was a baptism unto repentance. We mustn't ignore reading about it because he uses, the writers of the New Testament use that baptism to explain some things. But you did not enjoy or participate in a baptism of repentance. That's not what you did. You didn't go in a sinner 
and symbolically the water wash your sin away uh, when you come out the water. If you're thinking that, you're completely off the wall. Because water cannot wash sin away. The only thing that can wash sin away is the blood. The blood. It is the application of the blood. So, John the Baptist's baptism lasted, or his baptism lasted possibly five years, no more. Maybe longer, I don't know, but not much more than five years. Why? It was a particular time in history where John was sent as a forerunner to Jesus. Jesus the Messiah was going to come, and prior to his coming, John went out preaching that people needed to prepare their hearts for the coming Messiah. And to do this, they were to baptize themselves or be baptized by John. So that was a preparation for the coming Messiah. Soon as Jesus came and died, that process was finished with. And remember, John the Baptist himself was executed so he could no longer continue in that sort of process of baptism. So we can ignore the first one, John the Baptist's baptism. They don't apply to us, but the other four baptisms do. Let's look at these. The Christian or the believer's baptism. There's a passage of scripture I can read to you that shows there is a difference between the two. It's found in Acts 19, verses 3 to 5. Paul, Paul asked, so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Paul is in this place in Ephesus, and he has met some people who say they're Christians. Now, he wants to work out if they're really Christians... And he says, have you been baptised? And they say, yes, we were baptised with John the Baptist's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. That's not good enough. We are baptised into Christ. So he works out that they haven't received a Christian baptism. They had received John the Baptist's baptism. John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. So John the Baptist's baptism is no good for us today. We need to be baptised into Christ. It, it fulfils all righteousness. We are obedient. We're followed in Jesus in the footsteps that he has established for us. What is baptism then? I presume that most of you, if not all of you, have, have gone through the, the drama. Can I call it a drama? It, it is it's an act. It's something that we do. We get dressed up or we get dressed down, whatever the case is, to be baptised. We have a pool of water and some people take you into the water and they immerse you. It's like an act. It's a drama. It's something we can see. It is an outward expression of what has already taken place in the heart. If someone hasn't been baptised in their soul, there's no point in getting baptised in water. Baptism in water doesn't save you. It is what has gone on internally, that, that, that something has baptised you internally. Now, what happens? As I said, before you came to Christ, you were walking away from God. God then confronts you and engulfs you with his love. 
For God so loved the world, that's you, he sent Jesus Christ. So he embraces or engulfs you with his love. With his love comes this message that Christ died for you, that you are a selfish, self-centered sinner, and it will lead to destruction. And what you need to do is accept Jesus Christ as your saviour, put the old life away, that life that will take you to death, and embrace the new life that Christ has for you. And so you do this. You do this in your soul. Overwhelmed by the love of God, you decide you're going to have nothing to do with your old way of thinking and life, and you embrace this new life, Jesus Christ. So the old you is dead. There is now a new you that is empowered by the life of Christ in you. That's what salvation is. Has that happened to you? You go, I don't know, I just go to church. Well, that's not good enough. You must know that the old you has died and there is something new that is in you that promotes the life of God. You are a child of God. What do we do with dead bodies? We bury them. That's the best thing to do. So when we come to Christ, that old Philip that was in me, I chose that he die and this new life come into me. So the best thing I could do with the old Philip was to bury him. So I took him along, like most of you, to a baptismal service and I allowed them to bury me, to immerse the old me under the water. And then I was raised up with the new Christ life in me. The life of Christ is in you. Do you understand? The problem is getting it out of you. Do you understand that? You don't get anything from God. There's nothing more to get from God. He has put his life within you. His life has to come out of you. It is this old life that although you buried it, keeps coming out of the grave to dominate your life. And if it comes out the grave to dominate you, this new life is suppressed. So this idea of baptism isn't a one-off thing. You die daily suppressing the old self, burying the old man who constantly wants to come up and dictate to you how you live your life. We only get baptised once, but the spiritual act of baptism is an ongoing daily process. Reckon yourself dead. Don't allow this old life to come up again, but press it down back under so the life of Christ can flow. The life of Christ can never flow through you if the old life is there. So we, in a spiritual sense, we are baptised daily. We push it down, although we go through the act once. Is the act important? I think it is. Because through this act of baptism, we are being obedient to Christ. Number one, he told us to do it. If you haven't got baptised, immersed in water, and you call yourself a Christian, something's wrong. Because you haven't been obedient to what Christ has called you to. So you should get baptised. 
you get baptized as a declaration to everyone, I want to show you what has happened on the inside of me. This old, arrogant, independent, stroppy person called Philip, I'm going to put him to death, and I want this new, lovely Jesus Philip to live out of me. You say, Philip, we've seen the old one sometimes. <laughs> I say, I understand that. That's why every day I try to put him back under, bury him under so the life of Christ can be living out through me. It's in there. It just wants to come out. He can't put anything more in me because he lives inside me. There isn't any more. We've just got to get it out of us. We've just got to live, let Christ live through us. Throughout your life, you will die many times. Otherwise, you won't make progress as a Christian. You have to die to that old person. So this water baptism that we do once, spiritually, is a continuing, life-changing experience. Before the day's out, you'll have to bury the old man again. I guarantee it. It may be at the dinner table. It may be this afternoon. It may be talking to your family. It may be talking to your children. It might be anything. But you will have to bury the old man again. And as you bury him, the new man, the new man is born out in you. You see the way I dealt with that criticism about Wales? Wasn't it wonderful? <laughs> Didn't you think, what a godly man that Philip is? No desire to strike back. Nothing of that in him at all. Okay. That's your first baptism. Second baptism is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's subsequent to the believer's baptism. The believer's baptism, you were engulfed with the love of God that caused you to change yourself. Now you're going to be engulfed with the power of God to enable you to live this life. It's another baptism. It's another engulfing of the Spirit. It says this in Acts 1 and 5. If you want to uh, see that we're basing this in the Word of God, Acts 1 and 5 says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the, ho with the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism in water, a baptism in the Holy Spirit, being engulfed by the power of God. A couple of weeks ago, about four weeks ago, uh, Someone came in the room with me, and this person committed their lives to Christ. It was, it was wonderful to lead them to Christ. They had had an understanding, but never experienced what it was. I see them every week, and I think two weeks after that, I thought, now I'm going to tell you about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I explained to them about this wonderful experience where the power of God engulfs you. Now, that person's here this morning. I wonder if she would come and share... What happened that morning? Some of you don't know this lady. This is the first time she's come on a Sunday here, although we see her quite regularly. It's Paula, her name is. So I want you well, to explain. Lots of people. Lots of people. Don't worry about that. Yeah, they're all fairly nice and uh, nice to you. But okay, just share um, what you learned that morning or uh, what you experienced and, and the wonderful things that happened. You might have to hold uh, that up. What I experienced, I was talking to Phil and I'd done the sinner's prayer, and it just felt, all of a sudden, something engulfed me totally, and I felt very warm, content, and I was overjoyed. It was a wonderful feeling. 
And I come away with a great big smile on my face. <laughs> okay, you said two things in the yeah. room when we sat. And what happened to you? What physically happened to you? What, how did you know you were filled with the Spirit? What were the signs that you were filled? Well, you've put me on the spot. That's it? Okay. <laughs> uh, what came out of your mouth? Oh, words <laughs> I never, never heard before. Totally didn't. It didn't connect either. These words were coming out or these noises were coming out. But it wasn't me. It wasn't me that was speaking. It was, it was God. It was God. Okay. And you said two things happened, I think, when you were engulfed with his love. One was, did a weight come off your shoulder? And oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it did. I was sitting there. And for a long time, I've had a weight on my shoulders. I do have a bit of a shoulder problem. But all of a sudden, it was just like the whole thing had come off. Like it was a lovely feeling, a weightlessness. But everything around me changed as well. Like colours seemed brighter. It was, I felt quite drunk. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I did. I felt quite lightheaded. It was lovely. Wonderful. That's it. Okay. God isn't looking for you to reach some place of understanding, some, uh, some stature in him. First, he wants to overpower you with his love, engulfing you with his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The messy you are, the more God loves it. He comes and embraces you, engulfs you with his love, and we call this salvation. And we go through the waters of baptism to say, what has happened? A baptism has already happened in my heart, and I'm just showing you what's happened here. Then I believe immediately. I think we should get people saved and baptized on the same day. It's a bit difficult technically to do that. And then get them filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit. As we were praying for her there, she just started to feel this wonderful warmth of the power of God coming. And it was almost like instantly she started speaking in another language. It sounded like Southeast Asian language or something. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, come see me. I'm quite good at getting it done, I tell you. Now, I can baptise no one. I can't save anyone, I can't baptise anyone, but if you get in a room with the Holy Spirit and Jesus, he'll do it. I guarantee he'll do it. You just have to make yourself willing to embrace the wonderful power of God. Right, two more that we need to consider this morning. This baptism of fire, this don't sound too good. Okay, um, John the Baptist is the guy that describes it again to us. It's strange that although his baptism isn't relevant today, he helps us a lot with this understanding about baptism. Matthew 3, verses 11 and 12. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. We've heard something of that already and with fire. It's two separate baptisms. It isn't the same thing. We can look at this a little bit closer. His winnowing fork, so now he's going to explain what this baptism of fire is. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will cl uh, clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barns and burning up the chaff 
with unquenchable fire. Think, explain. It's a parable. It's a picture. A farmer has gathered in his harvest, a grain harvest. There's all the stalk and the chaff and everything else with the grain. With some sort of long fork, he has it all on the floor. He digs it in and he throws it in the air. There's a knack to it, I'm sure. And somehow the grain falls one way and the chaff falls another. So he separates that which is chaff, the stalk and the, uh, the, the, all the stuff he doesn't want from the grain. That is his winnowing fork. Now, you've come to Christ, you've received him as his saviour, you've baptised, this new experience of his love has come in, you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit, now he's going to baptise you with fire. He is going to, with your life, put the winnowing fork in and throw your life up into the air. And there's going to be a separation about what needs to stay and what needs to go. And what needs to go gets burnt up. It's not very pleasant. You think you can just carry on in your own way, thinking as you think, doing what you like, acting as you want to. Oh no, God loves you far too much to leave you like you are. He wants to separate that which is real from that which is unreal. The truth from the lies. The life from that which would produce death in you. An uncomfortable experience in life where God heats up things to separate us from our sin. You know, even though we've come to Christ, we can still be comfortable in our sin. Do you like gossiping now and again? Oh, I wouldn't do that, Philip. Oh, you know. Would you be negative about people? Would you, would you walk with fear in your life? Would you allow rejection to dominate your life? Would you become angry and bitter and resentful sometimes? God has to separate that from, from us. And oh, what a painful experience it is. It is painful. It might even mean deliverance. Because the devil sometimes gets such a grip on people that even they try to get free from this stuff that dogs them, they have to get delivered. There has to be a separation. And it is an ugly experience. There is a baptism of fire in your life. I don't do it. I can't save you. I can't get you filled with the Holy Spirit. And I surely can't baptise you with fire. But the one who loves you is doing it all the time. You go, oh, I don't understand why life is so difficult. I only want to love Jesus and serve the Lord. He goes, you can't see what I see in there. There needs to be some burning up here. Why? Because I'm perfecting you and making you like Jesus. He's making you pure gold. And pure gold, you know, is refined in the fire. We sing hymns, don't we, and songs and choruses about send your fire. Do you want it? <laughs> I tell you, it's not pleasant. The fire of God is not pleasant. It's a painful, painful experience that separates the, the chaff from your life to make you like him. Now we move on to the baptism of suffering. Oh, thank goodness, Philip, you've come to the end of this one. Okay, a few more minutes. 
Hebrews 5 and 8 says this, Although he, that's Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Oh, you say, I didn't think that Jesus had to learn obedience. We all have to learn obedience. And it's always painful and is through suffering. Obedience always comes through suffering. To be obedient means we have to do something that somebody else wants us to do, not what we want to do. Yes? So, to be obedient means not doing what you want to do, but doing what the other person wants to do, or what God wants you to do, which is always painful. Now, Jesus, I know he was 100% God, and he was 100% human, and he never sinned, but he had a will, a desire. But what he had to do, he had to come to a place where he submitted his will and desire to that of the Father. It says this in Luke 12 and 50, but I have a baptism, Jesus speaking, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. In this first baptism, you're baptized with the love of God that brings you to Jesus Christ. In the second baptism, you're engulfed by the power of the Holy Spirit, which comes to empower you and give you a power to live the life. In the third baptism, you're baptized with fire, which is a painful experience of separating the you that is undesirable to God from that which God desires to see in you. Always painful. And this one is painful as well. The only way you're going to do the will of God is to suffer. You say, oh, I didn't want to know that. I thought this was a great life, this Christian's life. It is. But for you to be obedient, and without obedience we cannot serve the Lord, you have to go through this suffering, the putting away of yourself. Jesus had a terrible, agonizing death on a cross to go to. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to the Lord, he said, is it possible that we can do this another way? Do I have to go through this agony and this suffering? He knew all the time there was no other way. He goes back and he prays a similar prayer again, and he says, your will be done, not my will. I will go through the suffering of what is required to do your will, O oh God. Turning the other cheek. Is that fun? Can I come and slap someone across the face? No volunteers. And what you do, you just say, slap the other side. That's all right. I can take that. It doesn't matter. You can insult me. It's fine. I'll put up with that. I won't retaliate. That's hard, isn't it? That's being obedient, you see. Another example, going the extra mile. Some, some people, you wouldn't even walk down the road for five minutes. He says, would you come the extra mile? They'll go the extra mile? Would you go twice as far as that person is asking you? Giving more than you're able to give. You go, well, I can afford to give this. No, God says, give everything. And you go, no, that's painful. Of course it's painful. To be obedient to what God is calling you to will always be painful. 
laying down your life for another person, loving your enemies, choosing the narrow path and not the wide path. All of these things, naturally, you would go to the place of greatest comfort. But we have to make ourselves suffer to go the route that God is calling us to go. What I found in life, if I'm prepared to go through the baptism of suffering several times, it's easy. And it gets easier. The first time someone slaps you around the face, that's tricky. The second time, it's not as bad. The third time, the fourth time. Because you're taken through suffering. It's a baptism. It's a baptism. And in the end, you're almost saying, slap me. I love it. Hit me again. It's smashing. Can I go two miles? No. Can I go three miles? Lord, I thought you said this is a narrow path. I was expecting it harder than this. Do you understand? Through the, the suffering that you go through, that's what builds godly Christian character into your life. If you always duck out the way of suffering, you'll never grow as a Christian. You'll be a wimp. So it's only through suffering. It's only through the flames that burn out the dross that we go on. Now, this process goes on and on and on. A continual life-yielding experience. Now, these baptisms are not permanent, they're temporary. Your life is not one continual time of suffering. It comes and goes. You get a little break between the suffering. You get a little break between the burning. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, like Paula was two weeks ago. She needs to be filled the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Her baptism in the Holy Spirit needs to be repeated again, and again, and again, like it says in Ephesians. Be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. Expect that you will have suffering from, you get little breaks in it, but like we say in our home, you know, we get out of a problem and there's another one coming down the road. You want to try leading a church. And if you don't think that's true, that's true. You get problem after problem after problem because you're involved in people's lives. There's problems all the time. There's suffering all the time. And we need to, to take it on board. Now, these baptisms are not permanent, only temporary, but they totally involve the whole personality with each of them we continually pass out of one stage or realm of experience into a new stage or realm of experience never previously entered. God will make you like Jesus Christ. And he isn't waiting till you get to heaven. He's doing it now. Through multiple baptisms in your life. Taking you through, bringing you out, changing you. Taking you through, bringing you out, changing you. That is the process of baptism. Death, resurrection, death, resurrection, death, resurrection. And then if you haven't turned into the character of Christ, there's a strong possibility it goes on into eternity. Oh, no, you go, no, no, I'm going to be perfect when I die. Oh, you might be, but you might not be. So the process will continue in eternity. So, oh, Philip, no. Give us some hope in this message. Please, let me hide away now. Wait till Jesus comes and he'll wave a wand over me and I'll be this wonderful person. I don't think that's how it works. Personally, 
I don't think that's how it works. There is a process going on in your life because God will not leave you like that. Now, let me say this. I am not the finished article and neither are you. But I'm a lot closer to what I'm meant to be, just like you. You're closer to being like Jesus than when you started. Now, when you look at some people, you go, well, they're not a lot closer. I understand that, okay? But they are closer. Some people are very stubborn in their changing process. Other people embrace it a lot more. God will bring us to the place where we look like him. I'm sorry there are four baptisms. I'm sorry they're hard work. I'm sorry you get burnt in them. I'm sorry that you suffer in them. I'm sorry for some of you, you have to speak in tongues with some of them. But we need to embrace them and allow this, what God brings, to engulf our lives completely that we can be the people that God wants us to be. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Phil. That was, uh, was a wonderful message. Um, <coughs> we're all agreed. Um, Audrey, do you want to come and lead us in a song? And then um, there's tea and coffee in the, the corner. And um, do hang around and do um, fellowship with one another. And uh, have a blessed week. Right.